please open your Bibles, John chapter 12. And today, traditionally, you, you know, we call it the Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. And John chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, sorry, verse 12. 12, 12, verse 13. And then we're going to be reading a bit more. So, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, Baruch Abba, Bashem, Adonai. In other words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that we are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. They said, Okay, is that a yes or no, Jesus? <laughs> Can the Greeks come and see you? Because Jesus seems to be on a different tangent. He said, the hour has come that the Son of Man may be glorified. They're thinking, well, isn't that what just happened? You've been welcomed into the gates of Jerusalem with people saying, Hosanna, Baruch Abba, Bashem Adonai, Hosanna to the King David, to him who comes in the name of the Lord. And, uh, and Jesus continued, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Now Jesus starts talking about sowing his life for a great harvest. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies and it remains alone, but if, if, if it dies, it produces much grain. If, if it dies, it produces a great harvest. So Jesus is looking for something that's even greater than the crowd that welcomed him as he came into Jerusalem. There was a good crowd. There was a good day. But Jesus is thinking of people from every nation and every tongue. Amen. People of all ages that for the coming two millennia, millennia would come to him. That is a much greater crowd than ever. Amen. And so Jesus said, well, I'm going to plant one seed. And, and out of this one seed, there'll be such a mighty harvest. I'll win. I'll save men from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. Come on, somebody. Get happy this morning and give Jesus a big hand. So Jesus is looking for much grain. He, he said in verse 25, no, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life for this world will, in this world will keep it for eternal life. But if... Something like that. I'm just reading really quickly. If anyone serve me, let him follow me. Everyone say, follow Jesus. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serve me, he my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. Saying, I have, I want you to know, Jesus heard the voices of people as he came into Jerusalem. He heard their singing. He heard their admiration. He heard their praises. But I want you to know, still greater than the voice of men, 
and the affirmation of men is to hear the affirmation of the Father. Amen. And hallelujah. And the voice of the Father. And the Father said, Yeah, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by heard it and they said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spoke to him. I'm finding it amazing <laughs> um, that people sometimes, even though God speaks, they can, one can say one thing, people can get it wrong. But Jesus is saying, well, for, for now, for now uh, this voice didn't come because of me, but for your sake, it was a sign. God was really affirming uh, Jesus. And verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, uh, uh, probably the word judgment uh, kind of uh, brings up ideas of, that are probably a little bit different from the original word uh, that was used, translated for judgment. It's, in fact, the word is, that was word used for judgment is the word crisis in the Greek. K-R-I-S-I-S, crisis, from which we take in English the word crisis. But in actual fact, the word crisis in the Greek doesn't quite exactly mean neither our English crisis, neither uh, judgment. It actually means a turning point. So Jesus is saying now, he's saying now is a turning point to the world. Because now the ruler of the world is going to be cast out. In other words, the devil is going to be cast out. Now is, is a shifting moment. Now something is shifting and it's happening right now in the world. I walked on the water. I healed the sick. I preached in the synagogues. But something has shifted. That's why I entitled my message today, The Big Shift. Because that moment implies a big shift in the ministry of Jesus. He's not going to walk on the water anymore, nor just pray individually for people. But something much greater is about to happen. It's about to go to the cross. And in the cross, in one moment of time, he's going to deal with the devil. He's going to deal with the curse of the law. He's going to deal with the sicknesses. He's going to deal with every problem that affected mankind. And in one go, and in a drop of his blood, come on, everything changed. Hallelujah. The cross is the big shift, hallelujah, that mankind needed, hallelujah. And for more information about that, come Friday. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, on this Palm Sunday, we will look at the moments right here that preceded the arrest of Jesus and, and the cross. And there are a number of very important things that I want to share from this today. You know, normally I kind of stick to one but this is a little bit of a, a mixed salad. There's a lot of things that I want to kind of emphasize, maybe three things that I want to emphasize from this passage today. And then we will get into the big shift on Friday. But you, you see, Jesus had for three years, you know, had, had toured extensively around many, many cities in, in Israel and, and even Samaria. He had spoken like no man. And he had done miracles like no other prophet before him. The Bible says in Acts 10.38 that he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And wherever he went, he did good. Amen? He did good. It, it, it just, people, whatever happened in his ministry was just an expression of his goodness. And, uh, and even his adversaries, right here in this text, acknowledged his fame. In verse 19, they says, look. You know, we can't do anything against this. There's, there's such momentum in this Jesus thing that the, we are accomplishing nothing. The whole world has come, has gone after him. 
And in verse 12 and 13, we see Jesus being received in Jerusalem by a great multitude that were, in fact, they were, I mean, there was such momentum with this Jesus wave that they were ready to make him a king, a political king. That's why they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they added, the king of Israel. I tell you what, when they would have said that, I'm sure that every Pharisee would have got really nervous and, and, and full of apprehension uh, because under the Romans they kind of had, had it easy, but this Jesus was a bit of a revo revolutionary and, and, and they knew that something was up, something, some great shift was about to happen, so it made them nervous. And so the atmosphere surrounding that moment where Jesus is walking into, this, uh, into Jerusalem must have been kind of an electrifying moment. Can you picture the people, the shouting of the crowds, the people laying, you know, their, their, their clothes. So he's coming, Jesus, and all of the things that were happening at that moment, you know, it must have been, the atmosphere must have been exciting, and there, there was, it was electrifying in that moment. And, and riding that wave come a, a delegation of Greeks. They had probably, they had traveled obviously from Greece. They hadn't been on an eight-hour flight. They had been many days on, on the sea. And they finally got to the feast. And they probably had, that was probably the first contact they had had, uh, they had, had with Jesus. And, and so they were curious about Jesus. And they came to Jesus' entourage. And they said, well, sirs, we want to see Jesus they were kind of taken with this Jesus fever and they were requesting a private audience so that they could see Jesus. It's like, wow, that's something that we need to see. Probably they would have heard what people told them about Jesus. They're like, wow, that's, that's something we need to see for ourselves. But interestingly, their request was met with strange words from Jesus. Jesus never said yes Jesus just went off on a different angle and just said, well, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Something in the ministry of Jesus had shifted. Something bigger than anything they had ever seen was about to happen. And Jesus even went from that to, he started talking about the seed that needs to die in order that the harvest may come. And, and, and the Greeks were probably left puzzled and and in fact, if you continue reading, I believe it's verse 36 or something, it says that Jesus left and was hidden from them, so they never got to see Jesus. I think probably what moved them to see Jesus was probably just pure curiosity. Um, it, interestingly, Acts 18.21 says that the Greeks, they were busy with nothing else but to hear or to speak about something new. They loved, the Greeks loved a good gossip. They loved something new. They were always hearing and talking about, you know, the latest about something. You know, I'm sure if they lived today, they would buy every one of those magazines you see in the stands, you know, that talk about, I don't know, the Kardashians and this and that. I don't know, you know, those things, you know. Uh, I don't know, Prince Harry not going to Buckingham, I don't know, just Jim Cross. And they probably came to Jesus like, wow, much like in the way a lot of people come to celebrities these days. They're like, you know, I've got to check, I've just got to check his Instagram, and I've got to, I've got to see who this Jesus really, I've got to lay my eyes on him 
And, uh, but I want you to know something, that the ministry of Jesus wasn't some kind of a circus of oddities, and Jesus didn't come to build a fan base or to get likes or views on his YouTube channel. Amen? He didn't come to set up some circus of oddities. Like in the old days, I mean, you would go to the circus to see a man with three, uh, I don't know, three arms or, or something strange that no one had ever seen, you know. And I'm sure they came to Jesus with that kind of idea. Well, we've heard that crippled walk and, and people are touched. And I, I need to come and I need to see this. Who, what is this Jesus? And, and, and they probably came to him just out of curiosity, not necessarily because they wanted to become followers of Jesus. Sirs, we want to see Jesus. You know, it would have been the right request if it had come from the right place, the right motivation, and from a pure heart. You know, after all, there are other people in the Bible that wanted to see Jesus, and they were granted access to Jesus. Like in John, John chapter 1, we see Andrew. He wanted to see Jesus. They said, come and see. We see Philip. Interestingly, Philip and Andrew, the two guys in this passage, and we see Philip. Jesus saw Nathaniel, and, 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 and Nathaniel came and, and wanted to see Jesus. And, and Philip said, here, come and see Jesus. There were other people that they said, come and see. Come and see. Why was their request deferred? Why was their request referred? I want, deferred? I want you to know something. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed is, is someone who comes with the right motivation. It, it doesn't say someone who's perfect, but someone who at least has a heart that is pure and has the motivation that is right. You know, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord, Psalm 24 says. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? The Bible says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And I tell you, well, there was probably something about the heart of those are the people that were granted access that Jesus, that they said, come and see. And there was something different probably about the heart of the Greeks. The Greeks were probably just out in, just being curious and wanted, wanting to see something, not necessarily wanting to follow Jesus. There was a man, a short man, his name was Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, we see the story of Zacchaeus who wanted to see Jesus. He was a short man who climbed the sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. Hey, he was not perfect. Far from it. He was a sinful man with a bad reputation. He worked for the tax department. <laughs> I think he kind of worked for himself, you know, and, and the tax department on the side, you know. But... Uh, but to that one, Jesus saw him and Jesus said, Hey, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for I must stay at your house. What was it about a man like Zacchaeus? Well, I want you to know Zacchaeus actually, the word Zacchaeus means a pure one. That's what the word Zacchaeus means. And probably beyond his mistakes and probably beyond his, his corruption and all the stuff that had been going on in his life, Jesus saw that beyond that, there was a heart that had the right motivation to come to him. There was enough purity. There was something in the heart of that man, although he was a sinner. And the fact is that out of that encounter, 
we see that that man's life changed radically. He did a U-turn, a 180 degree, and he, he, he made reparation. He repented, and he became a follower of Jesus. Come on, give Jesus a big hand. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, there was another man who wanted to see Jesus. His name is Herod. Herod. Uh, but again, he was someone who had the wrong motivation to see Jesus. Luke chapter 23, verse 8 says this. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him. Because he had heard many things about him. And he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Well, he, was, he saw Jesus, but forcefully. And his motivation was definitely not pure. Because he wanted to see, it's like, okay, I've heard about David Copperfield. Maybe, maybe it's Jesus. <laughs> it's some kind of a David Copperfield. How many of you know David? No? No, okay. Okay, show us a sign. Do us a trick. Did you bring your cards? I mean, just do something. He wanted to see Jesus. But again, as I said before, the gospel is not a circuit of oddities. And Jesus didn't come to build a fan base. Jesus came for followers. Amen? Amen? Now, Jesus defined the focus of his ministry and of his life. Because in verses 23 to 27, we see that the moment Jesus made the statement that he was going to give his life as a seed, and that out of that seed there would be much grain, in other words, a greater harvest, he was basically defining the focus of his life. He was not trying to get famous or be famous. He came to die. Amen? He came to, to die. He came to be that seed out of which today we could claim a harvest of souls. And in these last days, let's, let's claim that harvest. It belongs to us. It belongs in the kingdom of God. Amen. The devil can no longer hold our community captive. He can no longer hold the drug addicts and the, and the people in this world that are suffering. I mean, he cannot hold them captive. We are claiming souls for the kingdom of God. Amen. In the name of Jesus, he has to let go because the seed has been planted. We are standing and believing for the great harvest. But Jesus defined his focus. So that was his focus. The harvest was his focus. The harvest was his mission and I want you to know his mission and his focus is the mission and the focus of the church if anyone is still wondering after we've done a whole three months about real church what is the vision of our church what is the vision of the church our vision is the vision of Jesus our focus is the focus of Jesus we want sinners to come to Jesus repent of their sins become followers of Jesus amen be filled with the Holy Ghost live lives of purpose Hallelujah. Somebody help me preach today. Amen. Come on. That's the focus. And so he was focused also not on becoming just an earthly king and sit on an earthly throne, but on embracing the cross. Jesus exchanged the glory of the throne for the shame of the cross. You know, to the people around him, they're like, well, there's such momentum in his Jesus wave that why don't we just... Why don't we just make him king? Hosanna to the king. And, and in the eyes of the people, king was the pinnacle. In the eyes and the focus of Jesus, the cross was the pinnacle. Amen. The cross was the pinnacle. Because Jesus was going to accomplish more through six hours on the cross than a lifetime on the throne of Israel. Amen. In a moment of time, the ruler of this world 
the one who still kind of gives us that devil that we don't like. Anyone here likes the devil? Pray for you, right? We hate the devil. I hate the devil. The devil hates me, and that's how we like it. You know, <laughs> amen. I, in a moment of time, he was going to destroy the works of Satan. In a moment of time, he was, he was going to become a curse for us on the cross of Calvary so that we could inherit the blessing and be a blessed people. In a moment of time, he was going to take upon himself our sins, our mistakes, our, but also our diseases in the name of Jesus. And by his stripes, we were healed in Jesus' name. Come on. Wow. He, he wouldn't do that on the throne. But he did on the, on the cross. And thirdly, Jesus defined who he is seeking. You know, I find it so interesting that um, nothing that Jesus said to Philip and Andrew seemed to have anything to do with the request of the Greeks. <laughs> the Greeks must have thought, well, well, Andrew probably thought, well, this is all Greek to me. <laughs> the Greeks must have thought this is all Hebrew to me. And everyone was left wondering. But I want you to know, Jesus knew what he was talking about. And we better know what he's talking about. And what is Greek and a mystery to others. And the voice that came from heaven that some said, well, maybe it's an angel, maybe it's something else. That, vi that voice should never be vague to us. The things that Jesus established should never be vague to us. We should know what Jesus was talking about. And in verse 23, he speaks about his death. And then in verse 26, he, about, he speaks about followers. He said, well, he said there in verse 26, he, let him, you know, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. He started talking about following him. That where I am, where I am, he'll be also. You want to see Jesus? You want to be where he is? Well, then serve him, then follow him. And where Jesus is, he'll, he'll going to be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor will honor in a way that, that no multitude can honor. Will honor in a way that is eternal. So Jesus declares who he is seeking. And definitely is not looking for fans. He's looking, not looking for admirers. He's not looking for the curious. He's not looking for the crowds of palm-waving people. But he's seeking followers. Everyone say Followers. Followers. Jesus never said, I will build my fan club. But he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. In actual fact, by Jesus denying the access to the, to the Greeks, he's shutting down his fan club, club. He said, it's not about you becoming my admirers. It's about you becoming my followers. Because there's a difference between, between a follower and, and, and an admirer or a fan. You know, Jesus could have ridden the wave of applause that led him to Jerusalem. There was enough political momentum to even claim the throne of David. The crowds were with him. The polls were in his favor. The odds were clear. Jesus would win as the political Messiah that they had all been waiting for. However, how important at the end of the day really is a crowd and the applause and the palm waving of people because in just a few moments, these same palm waving people, they're, they're clenching their fists and they're turning and they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That's the difference between followers and fans. You know, fans can be, they can, can, 
You know, whatever, they can turn. Public opinion can turn. You know, the majority can go one way or the other or the menorah, whatever. But, but I want you to know something. Uh, 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 there's a difference between a fan and a follower. And the difference is loyalty. And the difference is allegiance. Loyalty and allegiance are the, def- the define the true followers of Jesus. And I know those are kind of, those are values of the kingdom. Is it okay if we talk about the values of the kingdom? <laughs> Allegiance, loyalty, they are rare values in our society today. They're rare values. You know, a marriage should be that moment where, you know, a solemn eternal allegiance is, is now declared over this relationship. Uh, uh, that's loyalty. But those values are always translated into situations like family today, into situations like relationships. Where's the rule? Where have you ever heard where, in your lifetime of a covenant relationship? Of a David Jonathan kind of relationship? We live in a selfish world. It's all about me. It's the iPhone, it's the IVs, it's the iDad, it's convenience. But convenience is not a value of the kingdom. Sacrifice is a value of the kingdom. I think one of the greatest lessons we can learn from the cross is how much Jesus is committed to us. His own loyalty toward us, even when we were still sinners. And how inconvenient it was. It would have been convenient to go to the throne. But he did the opposite and he went for sacrifice. Come on, I'm preaching better than you saying amen. Come on, help me preach today. Amen. You know, we become so selfish. Can I, can I just take it a little bit further? Just, just, just a little bit, just a little rant, and then I'll come back to this. You know, when it comes to churches, how many times we've had people? So what does your church offer? Oh, we offer Jesus. No, no, I mean, you know, what, what's your kid's church like? And what's your... Listen, Jesus didn't come for consumers. It's like, what have you got to offer? What are you bringing into the house of God? It's not all about you. (laughs) While I'm leaving this church, it's not meeting my needs. Poor you. Shame on you that you are deceived and you think it's all about you. Is it all right if we speak the truth? Poor, okay, let's, okay, the rent is over. Let's come come back, okay. Thank God it's not, nothing like that happens here. Praise God, amen. Hallelujah. I know I'm going to be meeting wonderful people out there in the the guest lounge and not going to ask me the question. So what have you got to offer? (laughs) Hey, at least now you know where we stand. Praise God. But we love you. God loves you. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Rent over. So, you know, we're living in those days, okay, that I mentioned. Okay. Now, but Jesus said in Luke 22, 28, he said, but you are of those who have continued with me in my trials. You know, Jesus acknowledged those that were followers because a follower sticks 
in the tough times, stinks when the cross, when Jesus is hanging on the cross. A follower stinks. And, and, and a follower is, has allegiance and loyalty. It's like my wife has great loyalty for calls. I'm like, no, let's go to Woolworths. More expensive. I look good calls. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. Okay, a side joke. We have time for a side joke? Okay, nothing to do with the message. I just thought it was so fun. Anyway. And I'm going to get into trouble with my wife, but I, I'm counting on your prayers as always because I know you pray for me all the time. I'm going to tell you a home secret. I was listening to Pastor Sarah saying, you know, finding the wrecks. It's like, I know where I'm going. When my wife, when I drive with my wife, often she's like this. Oh. Speed limit. <laughs> and now... My kids no longer call my wife mother. They call her Moogle. Mother and Google. Because <laughs> she can find her way into all kinds of places, you know. So she's like Moogle. <laughs> Dead ass Moogle. <laughs> all right, okay. I, thank you for praying for me. I'm going to... Okay. <laughs> I've told you the home secret now. Oh, my goodness. All right. Pray for Pastor Mughal. I mean, Pastor Alexander as well. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus took time to acknowledge true followers. The difference between true followers is that they stick, they remain loyal, even in tough times. That's why Jesus, that's why there is a place of honor reserved for the follower. Uh, John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Whatever I am, my, ser my servant will be also and if anyone serve me, my father will honor. There is a place of honor for the followers. Now, Jesus defined following. You know, in the social media era that we're living in, you know, you can click follow just as easily you can click unfollow. Isn't it? I mean, social media makes, it, makes following, it redefined following as something very superficial. You follow, you unfollow, you like, you dislike. But you see, Jesus followed, Jesus, hey, this is a tough message for me to preach, but keep smiling, praise God. <laughs> you know, Jesus, the way Jesus defined, defined following, followers, he said things like, things that are like, you know, uh, die, dying to self or taking up your cross. And then you'll become a follower of him. You know, Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Is it okay if we read the words of Jesus in this church? Yeah, yeah, yeah come on, then we read. let's read all together. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow, everyone say follow. Follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, I, I tell you what, when Jesus was preaching this, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if Jesus was going to preach this in our self-centered, selfish kind of world that we're living in, it would be like selling sausages, sausage rolls in a vegan kind of conference. <laughs> it's like we are vegans, we don't eat sausage. You know? It's like in, in the modern world that we're living in, you know, to say something like that, it's like, hey, we are postmodern people, we don't go along with these lines, you know, no. 
But hey, what, what Jesus says still stands. Amen. And either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Amen. And this was, this was a challenging message that, but true followers hear a message like that and they keep following Jesus. There was a time Jesus preached a really tough message. And, and, and people said, well, who can, who can, people said this, this is a hard saying and who can bear it? And one by one, they started kind of voting with their feet and leaving Jesus. And eventually there's only the disciples. And Jesus said to them, well, what about you? Aren't you going as well? They said, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, we're getting the best of this deal. We're getting eternal life. We're, we're getting the honor that you promised followers. We're getting the blessing. Come on. We get to walk with you, Jesus. We get to see your miracles. We get to, come on. It's a better deal to surrender our lives to Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. You know, you know this. Worship team is getting really convicted when they start coming up. It's like, Pastor, better, better finish this. You know, no, I'm just joking. It's all time. My goodness, there's no time in heaven. I'm glad. Hallelujah. Now, as we set our attention over this coming week on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, let us remember some things we learned from the narrative that led to those events. Number one, the pure in heart shall see Jesus. Secondly, as believers in Jesus, we need to align our focus with His focus. And His focus was always, not necessarily just the multitudes and the applause of people, His focus was always the bigger picture, the greater harvest of souls for which He was dying and laying His life for. There's never been more people alive than right now on this planet. It's like, is it 7 billion people? I stopped counting like 10 years ago. on this planet. People waking up every day and sometimes not, not coming to the end of their day because they're meeting eternity. Number three, let us renew our commitment to be true followers of Jesus. Now, let me just say this. Jesus loved unconditionally everyone. He healed everybody. He reached to all kinds of people, tax collectors, prostitutes, Jews and Samaritans. However, He never concealed the fact that He wanted His people to become His true followers. Not just Paul waving admirers, sympathizers, or fans. He was always upfront about what he wanted, he was going for. And in these last days, let me just say this. In these last days, with all that's been unleashed against this world, and with all that's happening, I want you to know the kind of church that's going to take to see the harvest of souls. You know, it's not a church of admirers and fans and palm, Sunday palm waving <laughs> Christians, amen, but true followers of Jesus. Amen. And I can only preach like that with boldness because I know I am looking at true followers. I know that I'm looking at people who mean business with Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.